This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Still to come, top of hour two, Dave Randorf. Yes, Dorf returns. Always good to talk to Dave. He's the play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight in action against the Colorado Avalanche. This game looks like it is dynamite. So we'll talk to it from the uh, Tampa point of view with Dave Randorf. Meanwhile, from the Colorado point of view, a pleasure to welcome to the broadcast one more time because we always love having him, the great Peter Baugh from The Athletic. Peter, how are you? I am doing well. I'm watching Avs morning skate as we speak, and things are going well here in Colorado. How how quick is that? Like, I'm always curious about practice tempo. How, what, what's the tempo of the Avalanche practice? See, theirs are, are interesting. Their morning skates are, are they're very much more in the tune-up vein. They don't do line rushes. They just do a couple drills and, and then power play and penalty kill. And it's probably over in 20, 25 minutes. It's not a... They're not one of the harder morning yeah. skate teams. You know, there's a there, there's a couple of stories about um, teams. I mean, I, I can think of the, the first time that I heard about this was with the Red Army in the 1970s. Going to go in the Wayback Machine with you here, Peter. Um, <laughs> when the Red Army would do their barnstorming tours for the NHL, you know, they'd play the Cup champion. You know, they'd play Philadelphia. They'd play Montreal. They'd play a bad Pittsburgh Penguins team, a bad New York Rangers team, a bad Buffalo Sabres team. But one of the things that everybody talked about was how they would intimidate with their, with their morning skate. And there were some teams that just, like, didn't let their team watch the uh, watch the, uh, the Red Army team skate in the morning for fear of, like, intimidating them before the puck dropped because they just, like, they, they played so differently. The way they zipped the puck around, the way they were so quick, the way that everything looked different, uh, and it, 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 it tended to intimidate. The only other team that I can recall ever having a conversation about intimidating with the morning skate was that was that powerhouse Detroit Red Wings team with Zetterberg and Datsuk and like all the Lidstrom on it. They, they were another team that would intimidate you with, you know, the pace and how proficient and how precise they were with their morning skate. Have you ever seen the Avs like that? Like in the back of my mind, I would think like with all the star power and Makar and McKinnon and Nachushkin and uh, Rantanen, like with all these players, Rantanen, like with all these players, I'm thinking if there's a team that can intimidate you with the morning skate, Colorado's got a chance to do that. Yeah, I don't know about Intimidate, but there was a day, uh, I, I think there was one earlier this year, I forget who they were playing, but um, one of the opposing players, there's a the visitor's locker room, you can look out pretty easily at, at morning skate, and I remember they were like, McKinnon made an incredible play, or I think made a tough shot or something, and, and there was a, a kind of like... Uh, you could tell that the players who were watching took note of it. Um, like they were like, "Oh, yeah, that's pretty good." Um, so I don't know about intimidate, but I do. I do remember. I, I wish I remembered which player it was or which team. Uh, but I did. I, that did happen this year. Um, how good is Colorado, and what do they still need? Well, they look good of late. I mean, they have. I think they have six losses on the year, but they easily could. Yeah. Two of those they could have gotten to overtime if they hadn't allowed a goal in the final minute. Um, they, it's interesting. Jared Bednar has talked about um, they started 6-0, and but he didn't really – and some of the players have echoed this. They, they didn't feel like they were playing that well even in that 6-0 and stretch to start. I think in the last little streak that they've put together, they feel like they're playing much better than they were at the start of the season. Um, and, and it's shown. like they, they look good. They're getting contributions from different parts of the lineup. Um, in ways that feel at least a little bit sustainable. Um, 
as for what they need, it's, it's a good question. I think you can – I mean, a lot of teams could use another top six forward, and I think the Avalanche probably fall into that boat. I think you're – some of the new guys, it's taken some time of – Jonathan Duran's really gotten going of late, but and Ryan Johansson scored a nice goal last game at five-on-five, five, but Johansson hasn't had a ton of success at even strength in terms of scoring, and Thomas Tatar still waiting on his mm. first goal. So some of those guys that they were hoping um, – would slide into the top six. I think they're 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 going to be a little. They're going to be patient. Like they want to see if if they'll kind of come around as they get more comfortable with the system. Um, and you're seeing that with Druin in particular. But I, I do think that there's a potential need there that's worth monitoring as the season goes on. You know, um, Jared Bednar recently mentioning uh, good news on the horizon, certainly for Arturi Lekkonen. Uh, that's a tough injury, and necks like back. Back injuries are so sensitive and delicate, but as you tweeted out yesterday, he's out of his neck brace and making progress. Uh, I guess we don't have any update on when we'll see Arturi Lekkonen back. I mean, having said that, Valeri Nachushkin has been exceptional for Colorado in his absence. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Lekkonen, I, I, we don't have a timeline. Bednar hasn't given a timeline. My sense is that it won't be season-ending, and obviously it's good news that he's out of the neck brace. I don't feel – it doesn't sound like it'll be imminent with him returning. Like, I think they're going to have to navigate life without him for a little bit longer than they miss him. But as you said, Natushkin, um has been really good. Bednar mentioned that um, he – his daughter he, – he was – his wife had a baby recently, and he's – I think has eight – goals in nine games since that the baby was born and a lot of it Bednar thinks that he, he had a lot on his mind going into it and now that the baby was born he kind of is just like there's some relief there and um and he and he's been playing a lot better so he looks healthy and um yeah he's he's played excellent uh, of late did the uh, you know Elliot and I were just talking a couple of seconds ago before he came on about the Western Conference and the defending Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights and we're you know right now as it stands if you look at all the teams in the Western Conference and say okay which team has the best chance at knocking off Vegas I think you'd have to go with the Los Angeles Kings like you might even make the argument they're the best team in the NHL period right now but you know we all know about the rivalry between the avalanche and the vegas golden knights and how that burns uh with colorado still to this day um i know they did they don't make moves just based on beating one team but when mcfarland sakic you know go to, to to make moves how much are they thinking in the back of our mind we need to be better than vegas yeah i don't even know if it's like vegas specifically but i think one of the things you look at with vegas that makes the knights so good is that they they have so much depth they can roll all four lines and and beat you with any their players on each line they can beat you and so i think the avalanche probably maybe they're not looking at vegas but i think they probably want to get to a point where they're they have four lines that they can really trust like they did the year that they won the cup in 2022 um, and I think right now they have three. The top line's obviously excellent. The third line with Colton O'Connor and uh, Miles Wood has been great. And the fourth line with Andrew Cogliano and Freddie Olsen is kind of the mainstays has been pretty reliable. Uh, but that second line and Lekkonen coming back it will help with that. That that I think is is kind of where they they'll want to maybe see some improvement. Uh, in conversation with uh, Peter Baugh, who uh, covers the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, tonight it is the Avs and the Tampa Bay Lightning in what 
may be the game of the night. Certainly on paper, it looks like the game of the night. I'm going to focus on, on Tampa with Dave Randorf here in a couple of moments at the top of the hour. But uh, just at a glance, what stands out? I mean, other than, you know, Nikita Kucherov top of the scoring list. But what really stands out for you about the Tampa Bay Lightning right now? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. I'm really curious. I, I'm hoping Vasilevsky plays again today because I'm I'm curious to see um, how he looks in person. Obviously, the uh, Jonas Johansson, someone who the, was with Colorado for a long time and was kind of tasked with keeping them afloat. So I'm curious if they'll kind of get get going a little bit now that they have their main guy in that, um, and and they'll they'll need to because the Eastern Conference is is deep. So um, it should be a really fun game. I think obviously a lot of the guys on both teams are the same since from the, the cup year. And I think that like, that's yeah. probably in the back of everyone's mind a little bit, even though it's been a, a bit of time. It's also Ross Colton's first time playing against his former team. So um, should be some fun storylines here. The Colton Cup. There we go. There's the uh, there's the headline yeah. for this one. We'll uh, we'll use that liberally over the over the next hour or so here on this program. Hey, let me let me swing back to Friday. How um, surprised were you? Maybe not at all. Uh, how surprised were the Avalanche, whether it's a coach, player, manager, whatever, to hear Dean Evason, head coach of the Minnesota Wild, accusing of all people, Kale McCarr of diving. Yeah, I I was surprised about that. I actually I've been. Wanting to, I'm gonna. My plan is to talk to Kale momentarily. The Avs didn't have a morning skate, and they haven't had a. They the only availability was post game availability after the Flames game because it was back to back, and they were off yesterday. So I want to talk to to Kale about that today. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kale McCars. Uh, I I haven't seen a clip of the exact play that he's referring. Like I haven't looked at it super closely. Um, but it is worth remembering that Kale McCarr is a guy who waved off a penalty last year because he fell and wasn't tripped um so so we'll see i'm curious what he will say about that i I don't think obviously players take i think that's one thing that gets under players skins is when people say they're they dive like that that's something that people get really players get frustrated about miko randon i think (laughs) won an appeal a couple years ago because he he toe picked and but he was fine for diving and he wrote the legal letter and he was like it wasn't about the money i just like I don't want that reputation associated with me. So I'm curious what oh, yeah. McCarl say. It's one of the worst things you can call a player. Hey, before I, I, I uh, run out of time with you here, I, I do want to mention, you know, one of the best uh, hockey pieces I've read all season is your piece on the story of Greg Kohler, uh, who had the, uh, the shortest shift ever, the shortest career ever uh, in the NHL. It's available on The Athletic. I was late getting to it, but boy, am I ever glad that I had a chance to read it. Uh, he's a Scarborough guy, uh, was uh, was playing hockey, was a star, uh, walked away from it, came back, made it to the NHL for one shift. Can you go through the story? Can you, can you go through Greg's story, essentially, for us in about 90 seconds, if you can do it? Yeah, I'll try. I actually had the idea because there's an abs prospect, Shane Bowers, who came up last year and played Yep. In one game, three shifts got hurt, and so I, I emailed the league and and asked like who the who had the shortest debut ever, and stumbled upon Greg Keeler's name, and he, uh, yeah, it was I actually I got in touch with him on LinkedIn, and it was kind of a fascinating story. I didn't realize kind of all the what uh, uh, the funniest part of it is that the game sheet is wrong because it was in one of the first years that they were keeping track of time. Um, but it, it was a Carolina Columbus game in 2000. I think December 29th was the date. 
And the sheet said he played 46 seconds, but if you review the footage, it is four seconds. He gets on the ice. Ron Francis takes a, uh, gets hooked, and play stops, and he's not on either special teams unit. So there were just kind of a lot of extenuating circumstances. But one of the funniest things about it was that he was actually featured in a Ken Dryden documentary um, yep. called Home Game in, um, I think, the early 90s, uh, just kind of about him as a youth player. So it was, it was interesting having all this footage of him as a kid and then kind of being able to talk to him now and just hear his reflections on I, I really wondered, like, would he be haunted by this? Would he feel a sense of accomplishment of kind of having made it, even if it was only for a few seconds? And I think that kind of what I discovered was that it wasn't really, like, either. Like, he's not haunted by it. But he's also not, like, blown away by having made it to the NHL. It just is – it was interesting hearing him reflect on it and, and talking to a couple people around him. You know, I, I always say, like, you have to be so good just to be bad in the NHL. Like, you have to be an yeah. amazing hockey player, even for someone to look at you and say, like, oh, that, that guy's no good. That guy's awesome. Like, that guy's an incredible player. He just happens to be playing with, like, the best players in, on the planet yeah. uh, right now. Like I, I, like, I have friends of mine, you know, someone that I see every day at school drop-off here uh, with our kids who played, you know, just under 30 games in the NHL, and he's sort of sheepish about his NHL career. But I'm like, dude, you play, like, 30 games in the NHL. NHL. Like I can imagine like even just playing one shift, like I'm sure there are a lot of people that would trade a lot just to have that same, uh, that same experience that Keeler had by playing the yeah. one shift for, for a couple of seconds, like just getting there. Right, Peter. Yeah. Think about all the players in the minors, what they would give to be able to, to have that moment, to, to make it, to know that you played in an NHL game. And I, I thought that was one thing that was really cool about it all was, um, I think that's why, like, it. you can look at it in different ways of, like, is it a sad story? Is it a happy? And I don't think it's as long. I mean, he's not, like, haunted by it, so I didn't really view it as a sad story because he made it. He, he lived out his dream, yeah. even if it was a really finite period of time. Um, and it was it was cool to hear him talk about it. It's like if I only got to write one paragraph for The Athletic, at least I could say, well, I made it. I know it's only one exactly. paragraph, but damn it, I made it. Um, listen, yeah. you're the best. Uh, thanks, as always, for stopping by, sharing your expertise. Enjoy the game tonight. Colorado and Tampa should be a great one. Always good to catch up, Peter. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jeff. Anytime. The great Peter Baugh from The uh, the Athletic covers the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, that is the marquee matchup tonight. Uh, on the board, there are six games. Want to also make sure we mention Florida Panthers, Ottawa Senators, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. DJ Smith back in the spotlight with the uh, with the Ottawa Senators as we've seen Detroit with their surge, uh, Buffalo Sabers with their injuries. We wait to see what happens now with the Ottawa Senators, a team that many of us thought would take a more significant step this season. Time now to bring in Matt Marchese because it is time for Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Matty, are you thinking about this beauty on the board tonight? I sure am. Lightning at Avalanche. The puck line is Avs minus one and a half. The road team is four and one in the last five meetings. The Lightning are seven and three in the last ten meetings in Colorado. And the under is four and one in the last five meetings. I really want Jonathan Drouin to work with this team. 
Like I know that you know talking to Peter Baugh, you know the, we wonder what's going to happen specifically with that second line uh, of the Avalanche, and you know if you're going to be a Cup contender, do you need to do something with it? We can all recall when the Colorado Avalanche won their most recent Cup. It was Nazem Kadri uh, in the middle. They made the move for Ryan Johansson in the in the off season, etc. But um, I really want Jonathan Drouin to be a great comeback story in the NHL. There's a lot of wonderful stories uh, with the Avalanche, and we're all wishing the best for Samuel Girard, who's taken a step away and has um, joined the NHL PA, NHL, NHL PA substance abuse program. Uh, anxiety leading to uh, alcohol um, is never a good combination, and he's taking it square head on, and we wish him all the best. Uh, but this is an excellent Colorado Avalanche team and like I was legit when talking to Peter and I talked about you know intimidating with the morning skate um, there are a few teams you can you can imagine have the skill to do that perhaps none more so than the Colorado Avalanche look Avs are, uh, Avs are an excellent team could legitimately win the Stanley Cup I think there's a couple in the Western Conference that could I think you throw Dallas and certainly Vegas and we have to say the Los Angeles Kings yes Eric Engels might be right uh, the Los Angeles Kings in that conversation. But you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, and it is a frightening, frightening team, comma, again. You know, having a conversation with someone yesterday who said, like, look, you can put, like, anybody on Tampa, and they're just going to be good. Like, doesn't it feel that way? Like, when the Penguins were riding high, you could do that as well. Just put anyone on the roster, and they would be exceptional. Tampa's got that vibe, too. And Kucherov is feeling it. And Big Cat is back. Tampa is scary good, and they've returned. Abs, bolts tonight. Enjoy it. That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. Speaking of Tampa, stay on that page with Dave Randorf and Dallas Aikens coming up in hour two as well. Keep it here across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Merrick Show back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, and welcome to Hour 2. Coming up at the bottom, we'll talk to Dallas Akins, head coach of Adler Mannheim in Germany. The former head coach of the Edmonton Oilers and Anaheim Ducks is on his way to Germany tomorrow, I believe, uh, to both coach and manage the Eagles. A little career departure here, something Dallas Akins obviously very much interested in. And what we're interested in is the Tampa Bay Lightning and Andre Vasilevsky and Nikita Kucherov, and the murderer's row of players and broadcasters that Tampa seems to boast. Uh, top of that list, by the way, is Dave Randorf, play-by-play voice of Tampa. He joins me now. Dave, how are you, pal? I'm doing great, Jeff. Welcome to uh, Denver, where uh, the avalanche are behind me going through their uh, morning skates. Uh, the mile-high uh, altitude, I had to walk up these stairs, yeah. but I'm here to report that I'm okay. I, I didn't, uh, you know, buckle or anything like that. You're listen. I know you're in marvelous shape anyway. You're probably doing the stairs like Yager used to as well with the weight vest and the whole deal, two, three at a time. I know you, Dave. You're in. Yeah. Uh, you're in great shape. We can. Uh, you're, you guys would like to say you're torn up like a bad report card. So you're not going to lie to us here, Dave. Um, but it, how okay. much, I'm curious. Even for a team as highly skilled and elite as Tampa, like how much does altitude play into it uh, when you face off against a team like the Avs? Well, I mean, the uh, Lightning had the ultimate series against the Avalanche in Stanley Cup Final here a couple of years ago. And 
I, yeah. I'd like to think that I, I can tell you personally, you know, I, I do go to the hotel gym when I catch up on my 32 thoughts podcast listening, by the way, on the uh, gym uh, <laughs> oh, treadmill. Yeah. Same as blood. But um, I feel it. And regular people feel it. It is a thing for sure. I, I think players and teams have come up with systems and how to deal with it. Now that the avalanche are, uh, have been in the league now for, for years. So it's not a new thing, but it yeah. is a factor for sure. And it's interesting. This is the lightning's dad's trip. And a couple of dads have even commented to me that oh, I feel a little a little different here. Uh, so it, it is a thing, but <laughs> I, I think there'll be no excuses tonight for the Lightning against the Abs. Yeah, this one looks like it's a beauty. And I, I want to start with uh, with Andre Vasilevsky, and I want to get to goalie waivers here in a second. But you know, just your thoughts on on what we've seen. I know, albeit brief, but what we've seen from Vasilevsky since the return. Yeah, it was one game. It was Friday night at Carolina, yeah. and that is a team that puts the, the puts the puck to the net every chance they can possibly get. And uh, you probably know the story by now. People listening know that they Lightning won 8-2 mm-hmm. that night. It wasn't a great night. Eight goals and 14 yep. shots. So it wasn't a great night for the uh, Hurricanes. But as for Vasilevsky himself, it's, it's interesting. He wasn't that busy, but the, his best save may have been his first save. It was a shot from the point. I think it came from Brett Pesci, and it was a redirect right in front. And he made one of those fast, quick reaction saves that he makes look routine and easy and the ones that don't make the highlight reels but are key stops nonetheless. And I looked at my broadcast partner, Brian Engblom, and we thought, look, he looks sharp. He looked as though he'd been here all season long. He didn't look uh, – his game was in control. His movements were tight. He looked like Vassy. He looked like Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah. And when you consider his last game was April 29th against the Toronto Maple Leafs, game six in the first round, it's remarkable because, remember, he didn't have any training camp. He had no exhibition games. Uh, he's been working out and practicing with the team, but uh, for him to be dropped into a very difficult environment for any road team and just have everything tight and ready to go was impressive. And another test for him tonight. Okay. I don't know how much uh, soreness yeah. he had after that first game, but he's coming into this one against, uh, obviously, a high-powered team in Colorado. 100%. Um, and you're right about Carolina. Carolina might be the most frustrating team to play against. Um, Tampa handled them. Uh, Nikita Kucherov was front and center, and now he's on top of the uh, the scoring board in the NHL. I want to get to him in a second. But let me stick with goaltending in the NHL here because goalie waivers at the beginning of the season is always interesting as teams try to find the right time to get their third goaltender down to the minors, you know, clear without another team putting in a claim. Some goaltenders get claims, others, you know, the timing is right and they get snuck down. This year there was a shark in the water, and that was Tampa. And we're all wondering, you know, who is going to, you know, when is it going to be safe to go into the water? When is it going to be safe to put a goaltender on waivers to try to get him to the American Hockey League, knowing that... Tampa might just put in a claim. And whether it was Montreal or Detroit or Buffalo or any other team carrying three, Philadelphia, do you think it was always safe or that maybe one or two of those goaltenders, you know, might have been claimed by Tampa had Montreal, Buffalo, Philly, Detroit placed one of them on waivers? Well, we will never know. Uh, that may have been the case. I mean, every general manager, and we're talking about Julian Dreesbaugh and his assistant, Matthew Darch, will look at things very closely uh, every single day and try to make an addition or, or, or a change of some sort if something uh, needs to be done. But I do know this. The Lightning have an extreme amount of faith in their system and their process on the ice and off the ice. 
So off the ice, they made a decision. Their pro scouts told them that Jonas Johansson was a solid, a good bet. A guy who played for Colorado, actually, last year. He played two games in the NHL, yeah. the rest of the games in the American League, and uh, had a decent season. But the fact of the matter was, he came into this season signed to be a backup to Vasilevsky. He had a, a total, I believe the number was 29 career starts combined. And now he finds out at the end of September, he is the number one until further notice because Vasilevsky's got to have a back surgery. And his job is to keep this team, this team, the Lightning, afloat for two months in an ultra-competitive Eastern Conference and an ultra-competitive division going into this season. Uh, his job is to keep them within the shouting distance of a playoff spot. And I give him a, an A on, on the job that he did. You could look at the Lightning record and, and and even his personal numbers, I'm talking about Johansson here, and say, well, <clears throat> clearly that's because Bassey wasn't here. That's not the case at all. In fact, it's the opposite. Jonas Johansson gave this team a chance to win night in, night out. He had a couple of shutouts in there as well, back-to-back shutouts. He did an excellent yeah. job. He always looked in, under control on a nightly basis. The moment and the, and the situation was never too big for him. He looked very calm. This is a guy who was not a kid. He's 28 years old. And he was ready for this opportunity, and he did a great job. And he's a big part. Whatever happens down the road here with the Lightning, wherever they end up, because uh, they are in a playoff spot now, uh, he will be a big part of the story. Of course, the net now will belong to Vasilevsky, and and Johansson will certainly get some more starts, but but not nearly as much. But so I think they saw enough in his game to pump the brakes on acquiring anybody, because again, there's salary cap implications. And what do we got to do to, to fit yep. somebody else in and all that kind of jazz. So they saw enough from his games and knew enough from their goaltending coach, Franz John, uh, that, uh, no, we, we can trust this guy and, and put him in. And they did a lot. And he did the job and got them to uh, uh, American Thanksgiving inside a playoff spot. You know, you've, um, I'm talking to Dave Randorf, play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning here across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Uh, you've watched a lot of Nikita Kucherov over the years. And so I don't want to say that you look at, you know, Friday's matchup against Carolina where he puts up six points and you sort of greet it with a shrug. But, I mean, this is kind of par for the course for Nikita Kucherov, who's now making our Ross noise. He's on top of the scoring board. Uh, Heart Trophy noise as well. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Kucherov, and I do want to get your thoughts on Braden Point as well because I don't want to lose fact that he's coming off a hat-trick against Carolina and five points against the Hurricanes as well. But let's start with Kucherov. What do you see out of him so far this season? I see, well, obviously we, we know that uh, the points are going to come. He had 113 last year. He's hit 100, 100 points three times in his career. Well on his way to that this year. But I see a guy who's hungry to shoot the puck more. Uh, he is right up there, if not at the top, he's right up there in terms of shots on goal. This is a guy who loves to make the pretty play, and he can. He can make passes, and he's already made some some amazing uh, passes already this season. Again, yeah. confirming that uh, he just tries and executes plays and passes that other guys wouldn't even think of, let alone try. Uh, check the uh, the game-tying goal with 4.8 seconds to go against the Boston Bruins. A pass out of the corner right onto the stick of Steven Stamkos and into the net, and they go on to win that game in overtime. So I see a guy who's always going to make those plays and 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 craves to make – he's got an artistry to his game. That's He he loves to play that artistic game and to make those plays, and he can make them. But uh, there's been a lot of times in the past in my short time here watching him night in, night out, where you wish he would take the shot. He's open for that shot. You wish he would take it. So this season, he's taking it. 
And that's bad news for the rest of the league because he's going to add to his goal scoring totals on top of the assists. He's easy for 80, 90 assists uh, uh, this season, uh, the way he's going, no problem. Uh, so uh, that's what I see. I see a guy who is driven by his uh, his strive. Uh, he strives to be perfect night in, his details. Oh, and I also see this. I see him playing 200 feet. Uh, countless times I've announced, and there's a back check, and then I go, great back check by Kucherov. Sometimes it, it used to surprise me earlier on in the season, not to say that he doesn't play a 200-foot mm-hmm. game, but I think he's made a concerted effort to be harder 200 feet and to break up plays going backwards instead of just going for, for offense. So he's got a well-rounded game going on right now. And, and uh, as you can see from the other night, six points. Ties the franchise record, Jeff. It's only been done once before in Lightning history, and you will never guess who the other guy was. Do you have a guess before I let you off the hook? Uh, Chris, Chris Gratton. I don't know. <laughs> Doug Crossman. No offense to Doug Crossman, a good Peterborough boy, but a defenseman. And when you think of all the great names yeah. the Lightning have had on their on their yeah. roster over the years, it was Doug Crossman did it in November of 1992. So uh, it's the only other time that somebody scored six points in one game. So uh, the offense is there. I'm seeing him play a little harder on the back check, and I'm seeing him shoot the puck. I love hearing the name Doug Crossman. It immediately makes me think of one of the most underrated defense cores that I've ever seen in the NHL, and you're right there as well, that Philadelphia Flyers team that had uh, Doug Crossman, Brad McCrimmon, Brad Marsh, and Mark Howe, who were just so good as a unit. And then J.J. Daniel would have been the fifth. Just so good for so long. Um, Signature plays. Um, one of the, you know, one of the great things in the NHL is we all know that the Ovechkin shot is coming, uh, and it's like, and Ovechkin just like sort of dares anybody to beat him. And we all know that the pass is coming from Carlson to Ovechkin and generally he's going to A, get the shot off and B, score. But I'll tell you what, you know what my favorite play to watch on a consistent basis is? And everybody knows it's coming, but everybody still bites. And you mentioned, you know, Nikita Kucherov taking the shot. I don't know that there's anything I like better in the NHL than watching everybody bite on Kucherov shooting only to have him slide it over to Braden Point in the middle in the bumper spot for an easy one-time tap-in goal. I don't know how it still fools people to this day. I bite. I mean, I, I don't know where, where you're at. You've seen it more than I have. I still bite on the play. Like, when you see that, what goes through your mind, Dave? It's funny. In your build-up there, I thought you were going to talk about the Stamkos one-timer on the wing because that's another play that people bite on That's and he's, he's he's at yeah. a yeah he's at 199 power play goals i mean so that one's worked for uh the next one will be a big one too so uh but the play you're talking about it happens so fast when it happens they execute yeah. it so yes. well the quick pass and it's off of point stick uh very quickly and as we all know by now Braden point is a finisher and he often does in that situation but you bring up this power play and, and you're right. You look at all the pieces. There's been one significant change to the number one power play unit this year, and that is Alex Killorn is gone. He's the guy that digs the pucks yeah. up along the, uh, the the end ball and, and feeds it to Kucherov or up front two points. This year, that spot belongs to Nick Paul. And Nick Paul's got five power play goals uh, on his own. So he's off to a nice start as well, and he's doing a very good job in that role that was uh, so long uh, for, for many years belonged to uh, Killorn. So uh, kudos to him on that. But other than that, the power play, everybody knows the roles. They know Hedman's up top. They know Cooch is over here. They know Stammer's over there. And they know points, as you pointed out, right in the middle. But it's yeah. still the number one power play in the NHL right now. They scored three power play goals in one period the other night against the Carolina Hurricanes, a good penalty-killing team. Uh, yet, uh, they still get it done. And 
I think that's a testament to point, as you mentioned, but also to the vision of Kucherov because he's he's got this misdirection, I think you alluded to, where he can just throw you off oh, yeah. just a little bit because he's got options. He can shoot it, he can feed it up top to Hedman, he can zip it across to Stammer, or he slide it inside to, to point. Uh, so he's got that guy uh, defending him, guessing. And, and if you watch him, he's not yeah. a fast guy. He just kind of does this rocker move where he's back and forth, and he gets you leaning. And as soon as he sees you leading the wrong way, that's where he delivers the puck to where he wants it to go. And, and it's usually in the back of the net. I mean, look at the stats right now. Once again, they're the number one power yeah. play in the NHL. Uh, such a fun player to watch. Oh, okay, one more for you. I'll let you get on with your uh, with your day. Catching your breath in Denver. Uh, what do you yeah. expect tonight? Like, I know I've hyped this thing all show long. And like, th- this is like, you're just looking at it on paper. And there's some good games on the, on the horizon tonight. But, man, Tampa and Colorado just looks fantastic. What do you expect tonight? Yeah, it's a marquee matchup, no doubt about it. I expect the Lightning to try to bring uh, what they've been bringing the last couple of weeks. And that is a more defensive structure to their game. Yes, Andre Vasilevsky is back. That's good news. Yes, they are on a five-game point streak. But overall, the story of their season is the amount of goals they're giving up. And you even heard John Cooper post-game the other night after this big 8-2 win at Carolina, franchise records, team records, all these goal-scoring records being matched or set that night. And what's his main first comment out of the gate in the post-game? I'm just glad we only gave up 12 even strength shots against and four high danger chances. That's what he wants to see. He's got no concern whatsoever about the ability of this team to score. He knows they can do that. What he wants to do is he wants to cut back on the goals against. I mean, they are the fourth team in the NHL in goals per game, and they're 27th in goals against. So the goal differential is only plus four. Uh, and that's not great. And he mm. knows they have to be better in that area. And this is a great place to start doing that because the Avalanche are the third highest scoring team in the NHL. So I expect to see two teams that will respect one another's offense while uh, also playing sound defense as well. And Jared Bednar has been like that as well. Um, remember, they got lit up here, what, two or three weeks ago by St. Louis. They allowed eight oh, goals yeah. in the building. And, and Bednar went off a bit, didn't he? He challenged his guys to be a whole lot better. And they have been. So. That's what I expect. Uh, sometimes you see two teams like this and you think, oh, wow, this is going to be a, a wild shootout. And we may get that. But if the coaches have their druthers, it will be a lot more tactical, a lot more uh, defensive minded because they, they don't want to end up on the highlight reels in a bad way. Yeah, that's boring. I want eight six. Or you yeah, know, nine so five. Give me one. Give me one of these. <laughs> I want to hear you call goals, Dave. I want to hear you call goals. Uh, <laughs> listen, I'll, I'll let you go on that. Thanks as always uh, for stopping by. Should be a great one tonight. We'll be tuned in. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Always a pleasure to come out with you. Uh, you're great, Dave Randorf, play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, one of six games on the board around the NHL this evening: uh, the Bolts and the Abs. Have I hyped this one enough? I've done a good job getting the, the, the megaphone out and, and hyping this one out, uh, Matt Marchese, because we also do have uh, the Florida Panthers facing off against the Ottawa Senators pregame at 6.30, uh, Rogers Monday Night Hockey. Uh, watch that one on Sportsnet just after 7 o'clock. Also on Sportsnet 1 and West, it is the Vegas Golden Knights facing off against the Who Are They Calgary Flames, uh, the Capitals and the Sharks, and also early, uh, the Boston Bruins face off against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Man, that was a tough one that Columbus lost yesterday. And how about Andre Festikoff for this first goal of the season after taking a puck off the face in the neutral zone, spins around, gets a pass to the high slot, and zips it past Elvis Merzlikens. 3-2 to two Carolina wins. 
and the Columbus Blue Jackets snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. The Bruins face off against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Don't look now, but Boston's lost two in a row as well. Oh, the sky is falling uh, in Boston. And the Buffalo Sabres, Ukapekalukunen gets a start tonight uh, for the Buffalo Sabres facing off against the New York Rangers, uh, who are one of the top teams in the NHL. And Matt Marchese, uh, quick thought about Jacob Truba. Uh, Jacob Truba in that really fun Rangers-Boston game on the weekend. Rangers beat the Boston Bruins. Um, In that one, we saw Jacob Truba slashing Trent Frederick across the head with his stick. Um, Before I get to my thoughts on it, how did you see that play? Now, it's a $5,000 fine. Uh, That's the most as per the CBA. It's not a suspension at all. How did you see that play? Well, first of all, $5,000 to Jacob Truba is literally confined in his couch. So not a big deal for him. I was honestly surprised that he wasn't suspended for it. Like that was pretty vicious. And I know it's like, oh, it's in the, not even the in the moment thing, but like he's turning and I don't think he necessarily means to swing his stick at his head, but you have to be in control of your stick at all times. That's the rule. I think he should have been suspended Mm -hmm. at least one game for that. Okay, here's how I saw it. You're going to take the other route. I think it comes down route. to... <laughs> I am going to take the other route on this one because I think there is a mitigating factor here. And you do have to be in control of your stick. But is that necessarily true if um, if someone is holding your stick as well? Now, there's a couple of different angles on this one. And on when one of the angles, it looks horrible. Like, it looks like Dave Brown, Thomas Sandstrom bad. That's an old reference, Merrick. Bring something up a little more current. Uh, it looks real bad. McSorley Brashear? No, it's different than that, but you get what I'm going for here. But then there's another angle that makes it look like it's a different type of offense. Like I looked at it, I looked at it and I said this. This is either going to be a $5,000 fine or a 15 slash 20 game suspension. Because what you're weighing here, if you're the Department of Player Safety and George Peros, is was it deliberate? Was it not deliberate? Was there a mitigating circumstance? Did he have his stick or was someone else holding onto his stick? And Frederick is holding onto the stick as he leans back and tries to pull the stick away from himself, from Frederick and maybe give him a slash in the shin pads. So to me, it was going to be one or the other. And either way, Peros was going to get ripped for it. Although I don't think that Peros makes decisions based on, am I going to get mean tweets? I really don't. I don't think the Department of Player Safety cares about getting mean tweets. Um, But I looked at and said, if you believe that there was a mitigating circumstance with Frederick holding his stick and it wasn't deliberate, the most you can give him is a fine. But if you are going to say, no, that was deliberate and he swung at his head... Because Elliot and I got into this on the podcast because he thought one game suspension too. And I said, like, it's either going to be one or the other. Because if you believe that he deliberately swung at his head, you're not going to just give him one game as a warning. It's going to be a major, major suspension. To me, this is one of those situations where there was going to be no middle ground. There was going to be no gray area here. This was either going to be like, you're getting 20 games or you're getting a fine. That's how I saw it. And they saw it with Frederick holding the stick as uh, Trubo was trying to either pull it away or hit Frederick in the shin pads or the hip with it. Well, he could That's have. I saw. He could have pulled it away and not swung his stick at him. I mean, there's other ways to get him back. You don't, and even like he kind of 
he kind of pushes off on him, and I, I get that. Like, I've watched a couple of angles so of it. So you think 15-game suspension then? No, so you, you no, I don't. You think 15-game suspension then? Because if you really think that he was deliberately swinging at his head, there's no way, Matt Marchese, you can say to me with a straight face that he should have got a game. No, it, like no, What you're saying is true, that we're talking about a 20-game suspension, not one. No, it should have been more than one. More than one for sure. Like, I, I mean, I, I know I said one originally, and then the more I'm looking at it, I'm going, mm, it's probably closer to six for me. I think 20 is too much um, because of the... For swinging at a guy's head with your no, stick? No, but no, no, no. It, because I don't... He's falling backwards. You can see as he... Because Frederick kind of extends his hand and then Truba's falling backwards. <laughs> so he probably, in, in all fairness, he probably yeah. meant to slash him more in the rear end than he did in the head. But he's falling back after getting pushed. So I think that's where the motion comes through and that's why he hits him in the head. Now, having said that, uh, our pal Mark Lazarus... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Put this out there. This is great. So Jacob Truba is making $8 million this season. This is the equivalent of a $37.50 fine for someone making the national average, which is in the U.S., I'm guessing, of (laughs) $60,000. This has to be addressed in the next CBA. These fines are toothless and useless. And I don't disagree with that sentiment. That, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Park that for one second. Mm Mm-hmm. One thing that you have to mention is that is collectively bargained. No, and that's you what he said. Who he got, you that have to way? address it in the next CBA. That's what he the said. The players. Yeah, for sure they do. That's that that's 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 the players. For sure. Like you can't. No, no, no. You, you, we we can't have it both ways. That needs to be addressed. They need to be harsh. That is that is what has been negotiated. No, that's what he said. In that the next. Is, that's why you always see in the, the press releases. Max Max fine. Yeah, has to be addressed in the next. Yeah, players CBA. don't want that. Of course yeah, they don't. Player, players player, players don't want that. Yeah, they're not they're not interested. <laughs> They're not because it because it might be them one day. Yeah, players aren't interested in like guys getting fined half a million bucks uh, for a slash. Ain't gonna ain't gonna happen. Well, don't but swing you, you ever thought on the, on the Rangers here? Like, well, I mean, it, it, again, it goes back to was it deliberate or not? You ever hit someone without meaning to? Uh, I mean, not, yes, you have. Stop, I, Matt, I, not stop. With a, not with a stick in the head. There are two different things there. In hockey, you've you, you've never hit someone accidentally with your stick. No, no, I usually do that intentionally, Jeff. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> usually when I use my stick, it was very intentional and not unintentional. I can say that with absolute positivity. <laughs> you, uh, you you have a thought on the Rangers here? Like, this is like this is real impressive. Like, we thought that it was going to be Carolina and the New Jersey Devils running away with the Metropolitan. Here we are, quarter marks on the horizon. It's Tuesday, Florida and Toronto is the, uh, the official quarter mark game, game number 328. And here are the New York Rangers who I think you can – I think the conversation is if you're looking at who the best team in the NHL is right now, like who's playing the best right now at this moment, I think the conversation revolves between the New York Rangers or the Los Angeles Kings. Like mm-hmm. here are the Rangers running away with the Metropolitan here. The most And the most impressive thing for me with the Rangers is they're doing this without Adam Fox for the last nine games. And that oh, to know. me is like when you – How many how many teams could lose – like? they could lose a Norris caliber defenseman and not miss a beat. And I'm not saying like you, you know, you're playing 500 hockey. I'm saying not miss a beat and play the exact same clip. The other thing is here is too, is Mika Zibanejad hasn't even heated up yet. Like he's got 14 points in 19 games and he hasn't even gotten to the clip that we expect him to. Now, other guys have stepped up. Vincent Trocek has been, has been good this year. And Alexei Lafreniere has eight goals. And remember the conversations why? we were having about why, him? Why, 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 why does Alexis Lafreniere have eight goals? Because he's getting an opportunity to score goals on different lines and playing on the third line, he's maybe? Get, 
getting an opportunity to play with who? Well, he's playing with Panera. The guy that makes magic yeah. happen for everybody. Our yeah, Tammy Panera. the bread man. And so that to me is is he's where... the fixer, the problem solver. Well, he's like... a, you got a problem? Put him with Panarin. Yeah, put him with Panarin. Just put him with Panarin. Makes you look good. See, I don't know how I feel about that being that guy. Like it does tell you about how good you are, but it's also like, oh, you're giving me another problem here. Like really, I gotta I gotta raise everybody else's boats here. Come on, give me some guys that I can it's work fine. with. He's got twenty. It, it's working. I know he's got twenty nine points. 29 points in 19 games and you know uh he's gonna get like a lot of heart trophy consideration he keeps this up might just win the damn thing jeff you know why he's got so many points this year has nothing to do with on the ice he's the same player shaved his head has to be the answer he got whatever bad luck was in that (laughs) hair is now gone yeah he looks like mr clean he's the he's the anti-samson he didn't get weaker. didn't didn't get uh, didn't didn't get weaker uh, by by cutting his hair. He actually got stronger. Yeah, he's looking um, great. And Chris Kreider. That's a again, fascinating too. team. Thirteen goals for Chris Kreider, yeah. uh, and you can make the point that he hasn't even heated up yet. But nonetheless, um, Pat Kane sweepstakes. You care about this? I I I do in a sense, but the other thing is is like. I know that a lot of people are like, oh, Patrick Kane is going to be coming back and whatever. But, Jeff, what is the one thing that we always talk about? Hips. For goalies, it's not great. But for players, mm. look look at how long it took Tyler Dude. Sagan to come back and play well. Like, well enough that you're like, okay, yeah. he's kind of back. It took him a year and a half. Patrick Kane's th- gonna that be, is he's why, 35. Yeah. And that is why I think the Dallas Stars... Although they were interested last year and were and had a curiosity, let's just say this year about Patrick Kane and did the due diligence, etc. If I'm Jim Nill, after what I just went through with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn mm-hmm. and players with hip surgery, how am I looking at Patrick Kane and saying, one, we have a team that could win the Stanley Cup, and make no mistake about it, the Dallas Stars could win the Stanley Cup. Sure. Dallas Stars are an awesome team. I think still think they need a defenseman. I think we all do, but they could win the Stanley Cup. How Jim Nill could look at that, knowing that it took at least, what, two years for Sagan and Ben to get their games back? How could he look at Patrick Kane and say, you know what, I'm willing to take that gamble? His history is that it takes a while. That's why I I don't think ultimately that the Dallas Stars are as significant a player as some people think that they are. I think they're looking elsewhere. I think they're looking at the back end Mm -hmm. specifically. And it's because of what they went through with Sagan and Ben. And you're right. And listen, Sagan looks really good right now too. Um, but yeah, it does take a while with hips. And, for and, sure. and that's and, why I think they back off of Pat Kane. And Tyler Sagan didn't have hip surgery at 34, turning 35. Like that's also a big difference here. And I know that recovery times for these athletes has changed significantly over the last decade. But we're talking about a guy who was banged up last year and we saw what happened with that. And now he's going to go and play somewhere after. And the other thing is too, is he's going to take some time even to get close to 70% because he hasn't played and and hasn't been at Mm -hmm. that pace all season. Like the, the one I laugh at the most is I I can't imagine because people keep mentioning the Leafs and oh he's in Oakville. Okay, whatever. But I can't see a scenario where the Toronto Maple Leafs look and say, Pat Kane is what we need and not a defenseman. Whereas a team like Detroit, I could look at it and go, yeah. yeah, that does make a little bit of sense there. Buffalo, that does make a little bit of sense there. A team like the Leafs doesn't make any sense. So I I feel like it is between 
and, and Buffalo may even be out of it by now anyway, but Detroit is the one that seems to make the most sense right now. Kane makes sense with Toronto if you're moving out one of the high-priced wingers. Sure. And Getting using a John Klingberg's money to pay Kane, and as you move out one of the wingers, you're bringing in defenseman and a goaltender. That's how that works. And you say, well, we're going to play Kane with Austin Matthews. Yeah. That's the way that it works with Toronto. But there's a whole other bunch. And listen, Bradshaw Living's not shy about the big move. But if you're looking, okay, is there a fit with Toronto? That might be the only way that I see a fit. Mm-hmm. That it has to be part of a bigger group of dominoes falling. Yeah, not as currently constructed. One of the wingers in exchange for not as currently constructed. Absolutely. That, that's kind of how I would how I would see Pat Kane with Toronto. All right. Uh, we got to head a break. Dallas Aikens on the other side. Speaking of Toronto, former Marley's coach, former Edmonton Oilers coach, San Diego Gulls, Anaheim Ducks, and now Adler Mannheim. But it's not just a coaching position. It's also general manager he's added to his portfolio. Dallas Akins, before he heads to Germany, talks to us next across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, starting at noon Eastern at 9 Pacific. Thanks to all of our listeners slash viewers and everyone listening on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, The early news story of the day involved former Edmonton Oilers head coach, Anaheim Ducks head coach, San Diego Gulls head coach, and Toronto Marlies head coach, Dallas Aikens, uh, getting the job with Adler Mannheim in Germany, coaching and managing that team as he is set to depart. But before he does, uh, he's been kind enough with some of his time to spend it with me and you. Uh, Dallas Akins joins me now. Dallas, how are you today? And congratulations on the new gig. Yeah, I appreciate it, uh, Jeff. Thanks for uh, having me. Well, you know, whenever something like this happens, I think what we all do is we sort of sort of try to trace back to, you know, where the roots of the discussions or the interest begins. And I was talking to Elliot about this uh, in, in the opening segment, Dallas, and I, I can't help but think, you know, I remember uh, when Brian Burke ran the Toronto Maple Leafs and he started the association with Mannheim, a development exchange. It was more sort of just like a handshake deal, I think, between the two teams. Players were exchanged, training tips, etc. I mean, you were part of that when you were with uh, the Marley you helped uh, Jamie Cyphers get a job uh, with uh, with uh, with Mannheim as well. Christian Hansen, Daryl Boyce, I think were a couple of the players that uh, that went over from the Marlies. Uh, did did the did the roots of this deal go all the way back, Dallas, to 2011, or am I really reaching for something here? Well, no, it's exactly right, and that's why I think hey, I don't care if it's hockey or life. I think relationships are are. Uh, super important um uh, i i like to serve others and, and try to help others um you know daniel hop the 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 owner uh of adler Mannheim, yep. is an incredible hu- human being really inspiring guy and so when if you remember back then so like brian burke came in and my job at that time i had just started uh, i was in management actually and i had just started the uh Toronto Maple Leafs player development um, uh, role. And Cliff Fletcher had put me into that role. Brian Burke gets hired uh, into the season. 
and it was one of the things we had talked about was developing relationships with the teams overseas, and uh, that was the first one that he put me onto. He he had already uh, had a bit of a relationship with the team, and uh, he wanted to make sure that we had that up and going with Toronto. And um, and I, obviously today I'm uh, uh, I'm really honored that he put me in charge of that years ago because that is where all of this started. Hmm, interesting. You know, I, I can recall talking to to Brian at that time when, when he ran the Maple Leafs. Uh, it was actually at a, at a, at a Marley's game at uh, the then Rico, now Coca-Cola Coliseum. And, you know, I remember him talking to me about how he looked at Germany as one of the next emerging powers uh, in hockey internationally. And listen, we see it now with, you know, Stutzla and, and Leon Dreisaitl leading the way. He said, look, like it's got, you know, it's resource rich. Uh, they have a lot of facilities. Uh, they need to do something with their imports, but it's a very athletic culture. They excel at sports at, at every level and in, in pretty much every sport. You know, why should hockey be any different? Like when you, you know, over the years, whether it's, you know, German players or just having a glance at what Germany is able to do internationally, um, what are your thoughts on how Germany is, has now emerged? Listen, we all saw the Olympics last time around, World Championships as well. Um, your thoughts on, on where Germany has, has now placed themselves on the international stage? Well, the one thing that I see that's that's really developed for them, and I, I take this right back to when I was doing player development, going to the World Juniors. Uh, what, what, it was like in Ottawa way back then and, and watching the German teams. It was, it was literally check, 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 give the puck back to the other mm. team, check, check. And like they, they spent all night checking. And now obviously you, you see that, you know, the players that they're putting in the NHL today, uh, whether it's uh you know, the dry sidles, the stutzels, the uh, siders, like these guys have got real offensive games. Um, and the other yeah. thing that they all have, and, and this is a big part of the the Hop family, uh, the, the, the town of Mannheim is a blue-collar town. They appreciate hard work. Is like when you look at a dry sidle or stutzel or cider, these players, like they have work ethics. Like they are off the charts. And yeah. So the, that, that's the one big thing for, for me with the German players is that they're not just check, 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 check anymore. Um, they can certainly score as well. You know, one of the things that's interesting about this situation with you, and I'm in a conversation with Dallas Aikens heading to Mannheim to run uh, Adler Mannheim and coach Adler Mannheim as well, one of the uh, the longstanding established powers in, in German uh, pro hockey. One of the things that's interesting about this, and I've always wondered this about you and other coaches, um, it's not just, you're not just going over there to coach, but you're also going over there to work as a general manager. Uh, and I've always looked at you, Dallas, and said, this guy can coach. That's a given. But, you know, I, I know your background. I know how you think. I know how you think about the game from a number of different levels. At what point did Dallas Aiken say to himself, you know what, I'm curious about not just coaching, but managing a hockey team. When did that start? Like, do we have to go all the way back to Roger Nelson? Like, uh, when, when did it first start for you? Well, it, it, it started when like people I was working with, like staff members or people in organizations would ask me the question, like, have you been a manager somewhere before? And I would be, no. And then like, well, have you ever thought about being a manager? And 
I'm highly passionate about coaching. And, you know, that for me, right off the bat, going into Adler-Mannheim, that's what I'm going to be focused on. We, we've got to really find out what our identity is and to get going on that. Um, so that's kind of the first order of business. But the, the, the thing where it really struck a chord with me was, you know, when I was with the Ducks, we had obviously had a, uh, a manager uh, uh, let go. Uh, Bob Murray, who uh, uh, hired me, I'll be extremely grateful all my life that he gave me a chance with the Ducks, was let go. And then there was this time where we had no manager. And through different conversations um, with, with ownership one day, uh, one of the uh, uh, parts of the ownership asked me, have you ever thought about being a general manager? And it, it kind of stuck with me, even though I was coaching, coaching, coaching. Uh, I've thought a lot, a lot about it lately. And then when this opportunity came up to, you know, not only coach, um, but be the general manager uh, as well, um, it, it got me thinking a little bit more. So for me, it's it, it adds experience. I'm a, as you know, Jeff, we know each other uh, well. I'm a I'm big on continuous growth, continuous development. Yeah. Uh, I refuse to be boxed in as a human being. Um, so hey, it's it's going to be a great challenge. Uh, but but uh, any great challenge is worth doing, and I am very very excited to get over there. Uh, I'm sure you are. And, you know, the, 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 the one player that we look at here, like, whenever a move like this happens, we say, okay, so who does Dallas Aikens already know about? Uh, reunited with Corbinian Holzer. Uh, what was your relationship like with him previously, and what do you expect now? Well, you know what's amazing about this? So that we can rewind it again, and this is how crazy, how small the hockey world is. Like, when I was doing that player development job, I first saw yep. Corbinian Holzer. I think he was 18 or 19 years old. He was our uh, uh, property with, with the Leafs, mm-hmm. and he was playing in Dusseldorf. And that was my first time I had ever been to Germany. Uh, like my first time going over, I'm scouting the player, developing a relationship with the player. I then coached him with the Marlies. I then coached him uh, uh, in Anaheim. And it he is one of those kids that I've had – kind of all the way along a little bit, but it's been my greatest, greatest privilege, like guys like him or a guy like Sammy Carrick, who plays for the Ducks now. These guys, I, I've watched yeah. them go from basically teenagers to grown men. They have families. They're wonderful human beings. And, and so, uh, obviously, I know Corbinian uh, very, very well. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned the uh, uh, Sam Carrick and, you know, the Carrick family just live around the corner from where I live. And this broadcast empire that I broadcast out of, most notably my basement. Um, I am curious about a couple of the players that you had uh, when you coached the Anaheim Ducks that I know you took uh, specific interest in. Um, and I, I know you're proud of their developments. Uh, I have a further thought if you have it on Sam Carrick. And I, I do want to talk to you. Um, about Mason McTavish as well. But uh, a quick thought on what you've seen out of Sam Carrick, and then maybe let's dovetail that to the person that I think is going to be the next captain, just to be blunt, of the uh, the Anaheim Ducks, Mason McTavish. But your thoughts on Sam Carrick to begin? Well, Sam Carrick is, I, I can sum him up pretty quickly, is Sam Carrick is, understands that his best 
is sometimes not going to be enough. And he has fully understood that in any moment in a game, he is going to do what is required for him to make his mark on the game, do what's required to Mm -hmm. stay another day in the NHL, another year in the NHL, uh, or do what's required to win a hockey game. And it's amazing because, like, oh, well, I did my best. Well, sometimes your best is enough. Sometimes you have to do what's required. And when I think of Sam Carrick, that's what he is. He is one of the – he is like a bad smell that will not go away. And he's (laughs) relentless in his work ethic. And so, like, that that's who that kid is. And I'm – you know, like, hey, I was – I was in the Ducks organization for eight years, and now I've turned into their biggest fan. Uh, I've got a lot of deep, deep relationships there with a lot of people in that organization, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I'm cheering for their uh, their, their success uh, down the road. Uh, your fingerprints are all over it still, and when I say things like Mason McTavish will be the next captain of the Anaheim Ducks, what do you say? I. Uh, it won't surprise me uh, one bit. I, I do believe that is what they're waiting for. I, I think uh, uh, the other great candidate there would have been uh, uh, Troy Terry. Um, but Mason mm. McTavish, like his his work ethic, if, you know, everybody talks about player development, what's the best way to develop a player? The first thing that has to happen, and if there's any kids listening or maybe it's your son or whatever it is, like, the, the 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 most important part of player development is the player. Like their development is up to them, and uh, Mason McTavish's habits, the way he comes to the rink with purpose every day, he practices with purpose. Uh, the amount of extra reps that he gets, it, it is incredible. Like he is a template uh, on how to get better. And it's amazing how, like, those players like that, they're great reminders to everybody around them, coaches included, managers included. Um, and it's, it's interesting, as I've been making a lot of notes here over the last uh, 24 hours, um, you know, a lot of it uh, has to do with commitment. It's got to do uh, with integrity. It's got to do with all of these elements that have to be there for a great team. But before you get that, you have to have a great individual. And I think about Mason McTavish habits as I'm going into Mannheim to try to adjust our habits there. Hmm. Fascinating. Listen, uh, I know you'll be successful. Uh, I know it's a little bit of a career departure as well, but uh, I know it's one that you're you're very much looking forward to, and that's not, not just only coaching a team, but managing one as well. Uh, I know you're headed off soon, I believe tomorrow. Um, safe travels. Uh, best of luck with Mannheim. You're right. You know, I was in Mannheim a couple of years ago and had a chance to spend an afternoon with Daniel Hopp, and he's a, he's a really impressive person. They have a great facility and a great program. Dallas, I'm sure you'll do quite well. Thanks so much for parking some time with me today. Much appreciated. Yeah, great privilege to join that organization. It's a long-standing, very impressive one, and thanks for having me on, and we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch. Absolutely. And they have a great logo, too. Uh, Dallas, thanks, as always, for stopping by. Good luck in uh, in, in Germany with, with Adler Mannheim. Uh, that's Dallas Aikens on his way to Germany to both coach and manage Adler Mannheim, former head coach of the Anaheim Ducks and the uh, and the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, a couple of minutes, Matt Marchese, we have left with you here uh, as the supervising producer, senior producer, fill-in host, 
I don't know, janitor? What do we call you here? I don't know what's on your business card these days. You know, uh, German hockey is, and again, like there's so many elite level players and teams um, and managers. And I wonder about owners as well, considering how, and we see this with the NHL Global Tour, and we see this, you know, with overseas excursions and exhibition games. I just can't help but wonder, you know, when you look at someone like Daniel Hopp that uh, Dallas Aikens just mentioned, you know, as much as we talk about um, the owner in San Jose, who's German as well, I wonder about more European ownership of NHL teams. And I've wondered about Daniel Hopp as well. I really do, considering the dedication to sports, specifically hockey, and how much Europe really matters to the NHL. I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching on this one, but you know, we always just assume that it's going to be North Americans that buy NHL teams. I've wondered about Daniel Hopp. As long as you got the cash now, Jeff, uh, I don't think it matters where you come from as long as you have the money and that that has become a big thing now like it's a lot of money to own an nhl franchise something we didn't talk about a lot 10 years ago it's true but i just can't help but think that it opens up new markets as well like if in the process of buying an nhl team you can further open up another market for the league for things like the global series or whatever you're going to to do in in europe i I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking at this foolishly and saying, well, he's rich. He wants the problem. I would imagine that Hop wants to own an NHL team. Uh, let's just open the door and let him shovel some money in and give him the keys to the Chevy. I don't know. It just it always sort of seemed like a, a, a fit to me. Uh, nonetheless, I, uh, I think we all do wish Dallas Akins uh, a lot of success mm-hmm. there. And his fingerprints like, are still on that Anaheim Ducks team. And that was a tough one last night. I felt bad for, uh, well, I felt bad for Lucas Dostal. First of all, because Edmonton was dancing. Edmonton was flying last night. And I felt bad for Max Jones. Like, I really like Max Jones. I covered Max Jones when he played with the London Knights of the OHL. I covered that team that went to Red Deer and won the Memorial Cup. Mitch Marner on that team. Matthew Kachuk. Uh, Christian Dvorak was an elite, elite level line. Um, he scores two goals yesterday. <laughs> and right away, it's like, oh, wow, is this going to be like the, the best game of Max Jones's career so far? And then the Oilers just start pouring it on. Do you have a takeaway from last night's game? Well, it's just that the Oilers look like they're able to score goals again, and that's frightening for the rest of the league. Like, Connor McDavid is red hot. I think sure like is. a week ago he was like a 100th in scoring or something. Maybe not that high. Um, actually, here we go. In Three days ago, he was tied for 59th in NHL scoring. So on November 24th, 59th. Uh, fast yeah. forward to today, he is in a tie for 13th in scoring all all Connor McDavid needs is three or four days and he's right back in it so uh I'd be I'd be very okay, weary so if I'm the rest of the NHL stick your neck out say he's gonna win the Art Ross right now Connor McDavid's gonna win the Art Ross I'm telling you that on <laughs> November 20th I don't need to stick my neck out that's that's not a long limb to go out on Jeff <laughs> All right, uh, Maddie. we'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, thanks to Matt Marchese, uh, our producer, David Sis, our board op, Lance Kennedy, TV director, Frank Baraska. And thanks to everyone who stopped by the program. Great to kick off the week with Elliot Friedman, Peter Baugh from The Athletic. Did I mention that Colorado Tampa looks really good tonight? Oh, I think I mentioned maybe once or twice. Uh, Dave Randorf, play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and you just heard from Dallas Akins, the new head coach and manager of Adler Mannheim. Mannheim. Wish him all the best. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Whether it's across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, or wherever you get your podcasts, much appreciated. That's it for me. Back tomorrow.